Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Runner's World Podcast. Each month we'll be bringing you the latest training advice, news and interviews from the wide world of running. I'm Rick Pearson, the Runner's World section editor, and I'm here with Ben Hobson, the digital editor. Ben, tell us what we've got coming up on this episode. This month's podcast is themed around the environment, and our very own Jane Maguire is coming in to discuss how running can clean up its act. Uh, Keith Foley, race director of the Harrow Half Marathon, talks about why he decided to do away with plastic at this year's race. Journalist Isaac Williams is joining to talk about plogging, and Kerry McCarthy takes a look at the ethical running gear. Runner's World Podcast. Plastic bottles have long been a fixture of large running races. The same goes for plastic goodie bags and energy gels. But with an increasing number of people making the case against single-use plastics, it's time for races and running brands to find more environmentally friendly alternatives. RW's Deputy Digital Editor, Jane McGuire, has been doing some investigating and is with us now. Jane? What have you found out? (laughs) Hello. I have been doing some research into kind of the problem and some horrible kind of stats to start with are that 300 million tonnes of plastic are made each year and 50% of that is like single-use, like plastic bottles, things you can't use again. And by 2050, there'll be more plastic in the sea than fish. Kind of, I think something has to change and I've been talking to... Oho, and they've made those little pouches that we've probably all maybe heard of, maybe not heard of. Okay, so what what is Oho then? So it's like a little pocket of water that you can eat, and it's made from seaweed. Yeah, and um, yeah, they've kind of I think they're quite a new company, and they've spent like four years looking into the problem. Mm. So it's just an edible water pocket. Yes, you can you can treat it like a gel and kind of bite it, rip it. Yeah, Yeah, take the water out throw that little thing on the floor because it'll biodegrade in four weeks or something right. but you can just run along and eat it um oh, okay. i haven't tried one so i can't but i don't still, know how that would feel have they, been, have they been used at races yeah they've been i think they've been a few i think they used at harrow harrow half yeah okay. um and i think they've been used at a few different races and i think they're kind of they said to me oh we're trying to get bigger so say this takes off and then you've got the problem of like manufacturing for a major that, and, how you, yeah. Yeah, and how you produce enough seaweed pockets for 50,000 people. Sure, yeah. Where does that, where, how much seaweed do you need? Yeah, that's a good practical question, yeah. yeah. I, said, I asked them um, about kind of bigger events. Yeah. Obviously, things like London Marathon, how do you make that greener? How You couldn't have like a big water thing and ask people to carry their own, but it would be carnage. Like, there's yeah. just too many people. <laughs> sure. yeah. um, and equally, you wouldn't want to take water away and not have... Have yeah. runners dehydrating? That would you know be a nightmare. Absolutely. Um, and they said they they're working because they've obviously only got a, quite a short shelf life before they start breaking down. Right. 
So they're working on a machine that can kind of mass produce them and the London Marathon would be like a dream. Yeah. But obviously they've not they're doing kind of smaller races to get it right and get the amount of pods or pouches or the size of the pouch right before you kind of think big, yes. I guess. Okay, yeah. Can I ask an obvious question? What why is single use plastic such a bad thing? Why should we be moving away from that? The biggest problem I think is that only nine percent I'm getting these from the internet so yeah, it might be wrong yeah, sure. it might be more it might be less 9% is of the plastic is recycled and it's not just people can't be bothered it's that it can't be yeah. and I think even though people are I think this year especially people are suddenly everyone's talking about it and they've banned straws and you know more and more people are carrying reusable bottles and stuff but I think it's kind of the plastic ends up in the oceans and yeah. it's harming Everything, fish life, and and e- everything, yeah. and you've got like you know David Attenborough, and everyone's kind of coming out and being like, we need to stop using plastic. And I think it's not just the organisers. I think it's the runners have to be more responsible. Mm. Like we saw on Twitter, didn't we? That picture of all the gel, yeah, 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 that someone had found in in on a trail run. And I think it's not hard to put it in your pocket and take it home. But right. we're probably all to blame. Like we probably all dropped the little cap at one point because sure. when you're running, you. It's not. Of... It's not on your. Bra- it's not on the top of your mind, is yeah. it? So I think um, there was something on Twitter this week about Bournemouth Marathon and yeah. the amount of plastic in the goodie bags and how that was left not on the beaches but around that area. And it's kind of like, well, you can't blame the organ. You know, it's the runners that have left it behind. Yeah, you true. don't want. You don't want to. You know. Sorry li- if that was you. Yeah, but, the, um, the organisers aren't littering. Their yeah, own yeah event. they're not. Yeah. They're not going out there and throwing bottles into the sea they're trying to put on an event so it is hard but there has to be a kind of balance i guess absolutely there's there's an element of personal responsibility isn't there like if you're going to litter that's actually your individual fault yeah Yeah. whereas using plastic is a bit of a bigger thing actually is more of an organizational decision i guess other than banning plastic bottles and using oho or a similar solution how else could running clean up its act we were talking yesterday about the reusable gel packets yeah. and you know could you or is there a way of recycling gel packets well, I'm yeah. sure I've used new so if you when you buy like toddler like well baby food yeah those little pouch things you can buy resealable ones of those okay so like we're talking not just gel size but bigger volume yeah, yeah. so but you can I've run with those and just blended up a thing and just put it in there for as a, as a carry say yeah I mean but it's, it is more cumbersome because mm. there's a lid on it, like a screw top. Right, okay. Thing. So yeah, it's yeah. not like this is, you know, handy. It's like you've got to have a little bag on and stuff like that. But that's the thing, isn't it? That's that's convenience. The, it's the convenience of the plastic bottle, isn't mm. it? Like that's that's why it's appealing, I think, to race organisers that there's a, there's an amount that people can they can unscrew the lid and you, you see how much you're drinking, you get a lot of water. It doesn't slow people down. I think that's another thing, yeah. isn't it? Where like the London Marathon, a lot of people, it's about PB, so it's like. If I'm losing a second or five seconds at water station, for a lot of runners, that's going to be, that's going to feel like intolerable. Like, oh my god, like I'm only just going to go under three thirty, and if I have to start, you know, using the communal trough to get water, yeah, exactly. that's going to like that's going to dig in. What about double dipping in the communal? Yeah. <laughs> I think even like I've done. So I did Kew Gardens the other week, and they had kind of I think they were compact. Compa- What's that word? Compostable. Compostable cups. <laughs> right, okay, right. So you can, the idea is that they're easier to recycle and they're better for the environment, but they're actually really hard to, it's hard to drink from a cup when you're run, when yeah. you're moving. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to stop and you don't want to kind of even slow down enough to kind of 
have a leisurely drink. And I know there is a kind of knack of folding them. Technique. A pinch technique that I just haven't got down. Yeah. So I just, you know, you end up pouring it all down your front and that's fine you know whatever you never look good in a race photo but you, I don't know if I've had enough water <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then it's kind of like oh you know I want to save the world but I kind of want to oh. drink <laughs> and, and <laughs> it's like true. what what do you do yeah, yeah. Um, and I walked away from that thinking oh gosh I've always been like no there shouldn't be plastic bottles but actually I, it was really hard to drink from a cup so it's kind of I think I don't know it's it's really it's hard to get that balance I guess yeah maybe we get to find the ideal solution yeah do you think you would enter a race i mean and this is this would require a a company to sort of take this on but if it was a totally green race and that was the remit of it so all the money that they would spend on plastic goodie bags yeah no goodie bag like that's their premise is there's zero Mm. plastic involved in this so you you go along and it might cost maybe the same or a bit more to enter but you're going in knowing ethically that you've entered a race that provides no plastic and that there's a drink solution whatever it is that yeah. you can you know i think i think there would be a, a kind I, of an appetite an for uptake. that yeah for sure yeah. i think goodie bags are great for sure but like at the end of the day if it was like here's another bag of random popped like <laughs> popcorn that's burnt with chia seeds you know you get that sort of t- food that kind of no one wants yeah those yeah. sorts of things like I, i'm fine without that i know like royal parks are trying to do they're doing tote bags now okay and obviously you pay quite a lot to run the royal park yeah, so yeah. i know that that's their solution that you don't have you have like yeah. a cool tote bag that you can use again in the shops you know not take a plastic bag to the shop so and i think they're they've banned gels you have or they're not giving out gels, gels yeah. they always have so a wooden medal yeah and wooden medal nice. so they're trying to be really green um i think london marathon has said they um what did they do they did cups at some stations yeah. i didn't do it last year this right. year yeah what else did they say they apparently they did a big campaign about trying to get you to empty your bottle yeah there was that you squeeze so it's it. easier to recycle because they can just sweep them up yeah. and mm. um so i think they are aware but i think yeah london marathon is a big i mean a beast. major <laughs> any any major i think is it's going to be a huge Th- undertaking. that's the issue isn't yeah. it like you can say that smaller races like swim runs or even like ultra marathons where it's maybe for most people not about kind of mm. time and stuff but i think it's it's seemingly a little impractical at the minute for big city races to completely do away with plastic bottles or I, I just don't unless this oho solution is actually easily scalable and everyone's comfortable with it i think there's some work to be done to find a satisfactory someone please solution. find the solution yeah, yeah. well then oho is saying it's just a you know they're still looking for sponsors and they're kind of quite new right. so imagine they are you know they're they're trying to save the world but they're quite small at the moment sure yeah, yeah. um and it is just you know the the things that i guess they you have to, with water and you like you know it's not like it's oh we're going to try and design like medals without plastic on it's kind of yeah. really important isn't yeah. it and yeah, yeah. you'd only need one awful headline where someone you know didn't sure. didn't get enough water for it to just be a nightmare so yeah, i guess yeah. you have to be really careful um but yeah i do think it is down to runners too which you know yeah. i think is <laughs> always hard did you get a sense through looking into this that like this is the way the wind's blowing and actually mm. in a couple of years time the idea of like the plastic bottle was going to seem quite dated i think uh, yeah i really do i do think so because i think every time you know even when i i asked runners to get in touch if they'd done harrow half which was plastic free and it was all very positive there was no one you know saying 
oh, I was really thirsty, I wish I had a plastic bottle, which is kind of what I just said about you, which is awful. It was great. But, you know, there wasn't any kind of... I think everyone is suddenly really keen and I think there is a lot of kind of... We're all being made very aware what we're doing to the planet at the moment. So I think, um, you know, I don't think you often... I hadn't really thought about it at running events until I saw a video... I think I can't remember where I saw it last year of them sweeping up the bottles at the end of the marathon and you mm. think, whoa, like that's... You don't think about it when you're doing the race. You just throw your bottle on the floor because you've got 20 miles to go. Yeah. Oh, undoubtedly, yeah. No, it's interesting. I wonder if we'll look back at sort of 2018 as a sort of tipping point with a lot of this stuff, actually. Well, the fact that there's an hour of like a, a, a usable product because for years yes. it must have been yes. like, oh, yeah, speculatory. Like, oh, yeah, maybe we could do this. But mm. actually, like, okay, someone's found a legit solution to it. All that needs to happen is actually it's, it's a production thing. Yeah. It's, yes. a, it's, yes. it's a financial and a, and, a, and a manufacturing issue rather than an idea issue. Yes, that's true. So that, that always makes it, I think, an, a slightly like brighter future. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Well, Jay, thanks very much for uh, no for coming on the Runners World podcast. <laughs> I think we're going to invite you back uh, next month. We'll be talking about um, nutrition and stuff. But it was great to hear a bit more about um, the plastic problem and the kind of companies that are trying to find solutions. Okay, thanks for having me. No thanks, cheers. Bye. Okay, bye. For more from Runners World, head to runnersworld.co.uk. Get ready to be disappointed, Rick. Okay. As four foot strikers. This is bad news for us. Okay. The heel strike is back. Right. I mean, it didn't go away, but... <laughs> sure. It's it's returned from its pit of shunned running nonsense. Um, a new study revealed that at last year's World Track and Field uh, Champs in London, uh, of the 70 elite runners analysed during the men's marathon, 67% landed on their heels. Wow. 30% landed on their midfoot and 3% landed on their forefoot. Only three. Only three. Yeah. Um, the percentages were similar to in the women's marathon with 73% heel striking, 19% midfoot and 3% forefoot. There you go. Well, I'm throwing away my V-Brown five fingers <laughs> as we speak. Good. It's, it's interesting that, isn't it? Because, it, you know, obviously the kind of the whole anti-heel strike thing that was around a few years ago, I think encouraged lots of runners to run in an unskilled way forefoot running it's not like the magic bullet of like i'm i'm forefoot running now therefore i'm going to be injury free and i'm running well i saw a really interesting picture that that went alongside not perhaps this study but of something similar which yeah. was showed every single elite and their foot position upon strike yeah. and it was obviously done like start of the race end of the race mm. and so obviously let's take into a fact that at the start of the race everyone's form is fantastic and they're yeah, all feeling yeah, great and by yeah. the end they're all knackered so but very similar exactly that Lots and lots of like very, you know, people think think heel strike and they think mm. some sort of like huge, resounding impact, yeah. leg shattering, femo destroying, <laughs> like. But it's not. It's still a, tr- a very smooth transition. Yeah. But it's just that that heel is for two hundredths of a millisecond, the first yeah. bit of foot that touches the floor. Sure. So that's a heel strike. Yeah. So I mean. It kind of makes sense, but I think it's something that probably you're right. People do think like I must be on my forefoot. You're right. It's, there's there's such thing as a skilled heel strike, isn't there? For sure. And it's almost like a kind of heel touch. I guess Stru- the, the, the term strike is, is like you say, yeah. It, it, it makes has... it, it makes you feel like a really aggressive, yes, aggressive blow. Exactly. But no, this is this is more of a like you know a whole foot absorption yeah. thing. Yeah. And it's more about where your foot is in relation to your centre of mass, isn't it? Rather yeah. than actually what part of the foot is touching first. I would absolutely go out on a limb and say that none of these elites are heel striking ahead of their their center of mass exactly yeah they're not 
putting that they, you know they're, they're landing yeah they're, they're, they're not breaking to you know, exactly they're they're landing with, underneath themselves yet heel striking yeah runners world podcast this year, the Harrow Half Marathon made the brave and bold decision to ban plastic bottles and cups at its aid station, becoming the first major UK road race to do so. Instead of plastic bottles, runners use biodegradable water sachets made from seaweed. Uh, we're delighted to be joined by Keith Foley, the, uh, the race director, to find out why he wanted the event to be plastic-free. So, Keith, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. How did you come to the decision to ban single-use plastic at the race? Long story, I guess, um, but... No one can have watched Blue Planet without starting to think about, you know, what are we doing? Um, and actually, the, the real honest truth is uh, it was a it was an initial conversation um, between myself and our local MP, actually, right. um, who's been a big supporter of our race um, since we started it just last year. And he had a contact in Selfridges um, who actually sponsored us to do this right. um, right. because they have a big environmental program at the store. And actually, it just, you know, the ball started rolling very, very quickly about the idea of doing something that would remove single-use plastic from, um, certainly on the course. Uh, we thought about doing it for, um, for literally everything to start with, but you start realising things like the nylon zip ties and things for your signage. How do you remove those yeah. um, in, in short order? There's, there's going to be a solution, but we, we haven't got to that yet. But yes, yeah, so it, was, it was a discussion literally just around some of us who, who um, organised the race. How successful was your new solution? Did you have targets that you wanted to meet or was it just sort of a trial and error kind of process? Um, I, I, it was incredibly successful, actually. I mean, that evening, I have to say, after the race, I was on Twitter a lot seeing what the feedback was yeah. um, and I didn't see a single negative feedback. And we received quite a lot of information through our, um, uh, you know, info at uh, email from from runners saying it was really good. Um, And there was quite a lot of um, stories beforehand. Um, Both BBC and ITV London News has picked it up uh, as a big positive story. We got a lot of really positive feedback about about the concept. As to success, um, huge success, I would say. Uh, There's definitely some feedback for the uh, for the manufacturers about you know some 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 of the uh, experience we had. We ran out. Um, right. So we had three water stations on the course, um, which we passed each one twice, right. uh, and we did run out at, at two of them, which was a concern at early doors because normally you've just got big bowsers of water, and, and and you know running out of water isn't going to be an issue. But actually, because these are a finite finite number, you've had delivered to the water stations. Mm-hmm. Trying to work out how many you needed was actually quite difficult. I was going to say, was this a sort of a balance between not necessarily not having enough, but more people unsure that how many they needed? Yeah, I think yeah, and and actually there is a there is a knack to using these particular products. Right. Yeah. So we we had some at the race HQ for people to play with at the start, and uh, if you'd have been there, you'd have seen people you know bursting them because if you if you squeeze them, yeah. which you would do with a gel, say, yeah, yeah. Uh, they burst. Right. And right. you just you just get a wet hand. Um, you actually just need to sort of bite the corner and suck the water out. Right. Um, so it's a technique. So people were you know basic feedback I got from people on the day was yeah I messed the first couple up but actually it was really easy once you got the hang of it yeah. Okay. so yeah there, there's a sort of a wastage I guess yeah. uh, that we hadn't accounted for are these to grab like at top speed on the move um, at the water stations people are holding them out for you to, 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 to take yeah. in the same way that you would hold out a bottle sure. um, right. so you, you, you can grab them on the, on the run um, different techniques for different speed of people yeah. um, the feedback from the water stations was actually for the slower runners it was actually easier to drop it into their palm um, for the faster runners, they were grabbing them as they were, as they were running past. I think it's a really um, brave decision to do it. W- was there some kind of trepidation? Because I guess as a race director, one of your key things will be runner safety. Yes. 
were you worried about actually like trialing this um yeah two things i think one we were we were nervous about you know is there a taste is are people going to literally take take the water and and go yeah that's horrible yeah Yeah. i mean seaweed yeah (laughs) is it going to be a salty water um, product that you're drinking so there was a lot of concern amongst us until we actually managed to get some samples ourselves to to try out and there is no taste It's, it's it's absolutely fine yeah um so we were a little bit worried about that um i think the second thing was we we genuinely were worried about whether we'd run out or not yeah. um you know and those fears were realized but we did have a backup in place so we actually ordered several thousand biodegradable cups yeah. um so and we had some normal uh, reusable water bowsers yeah. um at each station as a as a backup so we were able to give um sort of the, the later runners uh effectively cups of water but these yeah. are these are cups that um you can just chuck in your food food waste uh and will decompost oh great um so that that was our backup um yeah. because we knew we couldn't go with a a, a plastic alternative because we really didn't want to do that yeah so those those were our two key concerns and so m- minus the biodegradable cups yeah. what's clean up like um, well, the biodegradable cups was relatively easy because yeah. we didn't actually need that many of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was okay. And, and clean up. Um, so the actual, what you're left with, if you imagine you're making a, a, a jelly yeah. and you've got the, the sheets of gelatin and you put it in the hot water and, and obviously they, they, they dissolve. But that point before they've dissolved, but when they've become uh, soft, yeah. if you pick it out, it's just a bit floppy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. left with something that's a bit like that right. um, when you finish using it. But within two hours, it's completely dried out. It's like an autumn leaf um, okay. on the side of you know on the side of the road, um, and, and I think it's something like within three or four weeks, it's completely degraded. It's right. gone. So in, at the actual water stations themselves, we did stiff broom and just brush a few of them together and pick them up and chuck them in the bin mm. type thing. But on the whole, um, where the water stations were, they were in park areas or near grassland. Right. Mm. Um, so actually, them going onto those areas. And I did actually go for a run along there myself the next day. Yeah. And and actually, you couldn't even see them because they're clear. Yeah, so even yeah. if you throw them on the grass, you know they don't leave an unsightly, um, you know, mess uh, along yeah, the side of the great. road. That's great. And the council, yeah. you said you worked with the MP, so they must be. I mean, they were very happy with the fact that that's the aftermath. Yeah. Um. I mean, I've got to say, you know. We, we work with Active Training World as well, who mm. run a lot of events all across the country. Yeah. And um, uh, and James, who runs them, is is constantly amazed at the support we get from the council, actually. They, oh, they, nice. they, they're really good. So we do, of course, have lots of litter um, at the end, particularly from Race HQ. We tend to bundle that up and leave it on the road, and they send a van up and clear it all up the next day. Yeah. But, yeah, they love the fact that they didn't have to go out onto the, onto the course um, picking up litter. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definite big bonus, and yeah, I mean that other... working relationship with a with a local authority for any race organizer is really, really important. Right. Yeah, is there a cost implication to using? It, it was Oho that you used, right? Uho, uh, yeah, Oho. So yeah. Uho, you've been yeah. saying yeah. it no, wrong. Uho, Oho. Oho. Is it is it more expensive to use them than it is plastic bottles currently, or is it similar? Um, so for for us, actually, there was no cost implication because we were lucky enough that Selfridges actually oh. covered the bill for this, right? Um, uh, and actually, previously we've had support from other local companies. So yeah. last year we had support from um, uh, uh, Tesco's to do the um, to do the water on the course. Okay, um, you know they delivered bottled water for us last yeah. year. Um, so actually, we've never actually seen a cost to the water. Okay, right. um, which is great. Um, yeah. and we have another. We have Affinity Water as one of our local sponsors as well. So actually, at the race finish which is another one of our concerns was what do you give people when they finish because yeah. when you cross the finish line you do need a drink straight yeah. away don't yeah. you yeah. Um, so actually we gave them cycling bottles 
um, you know, sort of 750 meter yeah. cycling bottles full of water. Um, so that was you know, a takeaway reusable um, yeah. that, that you could use. So actually, yeah, we're very lucky that we've got support from lots of local uh, local companies, mm. um, and, and and we've never seen a cost to that. Okay, um, but I think that the cost from talking to um, the one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Producer of this, it, it, it is more expensive than buying bottled water, mm. um, but the, the cost was less than I, I was thinking. I won't give you a number because we haven't had to pay for it. For and, sure. And I'm, for not, sure. I'm not actually sure. But you don't get a sense that it's prohibitively expensive. No, absolutely not. No. And I know other other races have used these. Yeah. Um, um, Chippenham Half had one water station using these um, as well. Um, so yeah, other race organisers have, have uh, got involved. And actually, the day after our race, uh, James at Active Training World took a call from three different race organisers asking how we'd got involved with this and I've had a number of emails from other race organisers yeah. asking how did it go we're thinking of doing this right. as well so well that was going to be my next question really was do you think that this is that you're going to be at the forefront of change here and actually lots of other races are going to start following suit I think just just that contact we were getting afterwards shows that people are definitely thinking that way I mean I think we we, we did a, a wash up um just a, just uh, earlier this week actually with with the council and and actually we were all sat around the table that evening we were like we're going to look back at this and just we're going to be completely bemused by the fact that we used to take a plastic bottle and throw it on the on the floor mm. you know in in five years ten years however long it's going to be we are going to look back at this and just think what were we doing yeah i think so i think so and so say so the water solution is is fixed what what's the next as a race organizer what's the next big thing that's like waste heavy that needs to get sorted with what with races so i i would challenge that the water's fixed actually because yeah, okay. i think there is a production uh limitation on on this product yeah um i think it's a bit like any new technology actually it, we're almost an early adopter yes um, yes and i'm 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 not sure this will actually be the final solution mm. um because there were some issues with it yeah um, i mean the, the these things I think after about four or five days, they've 
they dissolve. Yeah. Um, and there was a percentage, probably ten to twenty percent of the ones that we had delivered, weren't really usable. Um, right. So there is, there is, you know, there's a production issue. Um, you know, I think these guys are totally on top of it, and you know, they're they're, they're breaking ground really with this stuff. Yeah. So there will be some changes, uh, I think. You know, and and who knows what else is to come um, in this industry. So I don't think it's quite solved. Yeah. But I think we're well on the path to doing it. But I think, you know, if you imagine London Marathon, say, you know, with just the volume that they need to produce and, and supply. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that would be a challenge sure. at this point in time. Yeah. But, you know, I, I can't envisage that in five years' time there won't be some solution for, for a big event like that. We're already sat there going, what do we do next year? Yeah. Actually, because yeah. that was quite a big step. And we know absolutely we can't go back to using um, bottled water next year. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just an, a complete no-go. So even if we weren't able to get a sponsor um, to cover that, we would we would be using some form of uh, of, of non-single-use plastic. So you're, you're committed to that going forward, then? I, I, I think we have to be. Mm. I don't. I just don't think there's a going back now. Yeah. yeah. When is the When is the race next year? We've got a date. Set. September the fifteenth. September the fifteenth. Yeah. Going plastic-free again. Absolutely. Sounds good. Well, Keith, thanks so much for for coming on. It was really interesting. Oh, that's great. I mean, I do really hope that what you guys have have done and have started kind of trickles down water joke <laughs> ah, <boom>. uh, <laughs> awful <laughs> i hope that is is adopted by many i think yeah. it's definitely something that needs to change yeah let's get cheers thank you very much cool. this is the runner's world podcast we've received a lovely letter from a reader uh, jamie campbell writes from a mistaken belief as a young man that life got better as you got older, like an upward line on a graph, I soon found out that ups and downs of life were part of a natural cycle. One thing that remained consistent for me, however, was my running and what it gave back to me. I hope someone, like I did many years ago, picks up your magazine and reads how running can become as faithful a friend as a trusted collie dog. In times of increasing awareness about personal well-being, if one person reads this and starts a journey of discovery on the benefits of running, then that's a welcome start. That's great, isn't it? That's one of the nicest things about the jobs is receiving these emails from readers about the many and varied ways that running has improved their lives. Yeah, I think starting doing this podcast actually has really helped sort of like enlighten me in terms of the different ways that running has helped people. Just yeah. everyone, I got into running for whatever reasons and so you, you for whatever else. But then, yeah, the, the variety of stuff that's that happens to, in people's lives and they seek solace in a bit of outdoor yeah. sweatiness. <laughs> No, it's, it's true, mate. And I think when um, when Paul Tonkinson came, came on the show, he, he described, you know, running can be like your best mate. And I think that's that's a recurring message that we get, actually. Running can, it can feel like a friend that's there for you and that friendship can change, you know, throughout your life. But it's actually that, it's that kind of constant thing that you can depend upon, mm. which is great. So thanks, Jamie. Yeah, um, if you've got a similar running story, don't be shy, let us know. Uh, podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. runner's world podcast another way in which runners are cleaning up their act is through plogging the noble art of running while picking up litter health and fitness journalist isaac williams wrote a piece on plogging in a recent issue of runner's world and he's now here to tell us about the craze that's sweeping the streets um hi isaac how are you i'm very well thank you good good uh you recently went plogging can you give us a quick overview of what it's all about yeah, so plogging is, um, I guess, the marriage of kind of running and litter picking. <laughs> um, and it's really kind of as simple as that. So you go for a run, yeah. uh, you take a litter picker and a bin bag with you, and you kind of you kind of clean the streets as you go. Nice. It's got a weird word, plogging. Have you got any idea where it's sort of the derivation of it? Yeah, I think it's kind of literally a combination of uh, jogging and picking up. 
Right. So those two words combined. Um, and yeah, it kind of originated in Sweden Okay. Uh, a couple of years ago. I think. Well, I guess people have been running and picking up litter since people started since running, right? Since it's, some, it's, some conscientious person went, that's yeah. not right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's not a kind of wildly new concept. I think what is new about blogging is the fact that it's kind of a defined movement and people meet up in groups and go out to try and kind of clean up their local areas. So what what is it like to go blogging? I mean... Is it is it is it is it a time to base a you know, structured training plan around your plogging event? No, I think that's probably the first thing to say. Yeah, it's best to best to reserve your plog for your kind of long, slow run. Yeah. Um, I've read a few articles saying, oh yeah, it's a great kind of upper body workout because you're bending out. It's, I think that might be stretching it a little bit, but there's no reason it can't be incorporated into kind of a, a long, slow run. I think that works that yeah. way. But yeah, as for how it is, I think it's yeah, it's great. You've kind of the first time. When I met, when I made my kind of my plogging debut <laughs> a few months ago, um, it was with a group called uh, After Ploggers, okay. um, which was based in kind of central London, set up by uh, headphone brand Aftershocks. Yeah. About ten of us met in uh, Regent's Park, central London, um, which is admittedly probably one of the most pristine, yeah. well kept, <laughs> litter free areas of right. uh, <laughs> of the country. But even so, it was kind of quite shocking actually the amount of the amount of litter you see en route. Um, once you've been running for sort of five minutes, your kind of plogging senses are honed and you start to see like every cigarette bar, every bottle cap. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of quite shocking the amount, just this kind of sheer quantity of litter that there is. Yeah. Is that one of the things that you sort of once you've switched your brain to looking for it? Yeah, 100%, definitely. Um, yeah, like I say, after f- the first five minutes, you're like, oh, this is, uh, we're, we're not going to get anything. But then, yeah, within kind of 10 minutes, our bags were kind of beginning to bulge with, with all sorts. Apart from... Uh- eagle eye and a mm. bin bag what else do you need what else does one need to go plogging yeah so just kind of standard running kit um i think gloves are probably mm. advisable a litter picker that's that's essential okay and a kind of heavy duty bin bag you don't want you don't want to be scrimping on your bin bag you want some do you double bag I didn't double bag no i think if you go for go for quality then you shouldn't need to <laughs> you want <laughs> volume though you want literage you yeah. want like a good seventy liters. Yeah, you want a you want a big one. Yeah, yeah. seven is that a it's seventy liters? Is I, that... I've plucked a number from the air. Like, think, think, massive. Think backpacks. Yeah. Right. So your average commute. Don't bag. bring your backpacks. You know, but I'm saying an average run pack. Yeah. Would if, be you want, if you want, you want a double liters, bag, backpack and bin bag, maybe. Yeah. Oh, so if you think a bag is normally like bloggers. twenty liters. <laughs> yeah. Seventy. Big bag. Yeah. Yeah. Go for Fair it. Fair play. Fair play. Are there any? So you've mentioned the after pickers, after ploggers. After ploggers. You mentioned yeah. the after ploggers. Um, do you know of any other official groups that people can join? So I think uh, the kind of beauty of it is it's kind of sweeping the nation. So I think most local running clubs now um, are kind of taking plogging on board and are kind of adopting it into their kind of weekly schedules. So yeah, I think in terms of kind of finding out one uh near you i think just go to your local running club or there's also a kind of twitter handle um at plogging gb i think it is um which kind of has all the kind of up-to-date plogging news since your plogging experience are you more likely to pick up litter while you run yeah i mean it it certainly makes you more aware of the litter around you look you're not you're not gonna pick up rubbish on every run uh, yeah you, you'd be a rubbish runner if you, if you did that every time um but yeah i think once like i say once or twice a week for your recovery run or your slow run it's definitely a great option it's also great running can as great it is it can be quite a selfish pursuit mm. so this kind of brings the kind of wholesome uh doing your bit for society element um 
and also if kind of if your bet half's giving you a bit of jip the amount of times you're going out running you, they're not going to argue with <laughs> you kind one. of saving the planet are that's they? true yeah that's nice yeah nice angle um what's the most common piece of litter then that you that you came across when plogging i think yes yeah, not a very exciting one Pro- probably bottle caps right. cigarette but you know i i thought I thought people kind of stopped smoking a, a, like a long time ago, but apparently not. The amount of cigarette, cigarette butts was, yeah, quite shocking. Um, but yeah, bottles, bottle caps, cigarettes, plastic bags. Right. Anything, out, anything kind of weird or out of the ordinary while you play? Um, yeah, I, I, a few kind of questionable smelling wet wipes. Um, <laughs> oh. but yeah, yeah, which made the rest of the plug not that enjoyable. But other than that, yeah, no. No kind of bones, gold watches, or no anything. bones or anything. Does, like. it, does it make you feel good though? Is there a sense of like I've actually done something for my local community? Yeah, definitely. So you, you get the runners high anyway, obviously, yeah, and yeah. then you get the kind of added element of kind of yeah, self satisfaction for kind of helping out. Yeah. Um, I think we should do something. Agreed. I haven't plogged. I've I never thought. plogged. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Where do you think is the most litter dense area? Parks. I think maybe, yeah, or like down by the Thames. Or just get in the river. Just get in the river, yeah. <laughs> swim run. Swim you run. love a swim oh, run plog. Swim run plog. Yeah, that there could go. be good. That could be good. Right. I think it's a great thing that people are doing. And I mean, it's like, it's two good things, isn't it? Running's obviously great for you and, and, and cleaning up the environment. So it's a kind of win-win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, brilliant. Thanks, Isaac. Thank you. Happy plogging. Happy plogging. <laughs> this is the Runner's World podcast. When you buy running clothes, what are your top priorities? Something that looks good, makes you feel fast, doesn't break the bank? How about instead something that's good for the planet? Ethical clothing choices are, it seems, an increasing priority for the woke runner. Kerry McCarthy, a vision of wokeness, has joined us in the studio to guide us through the best choices. Kerry, welcome. Afternoon. I'm, I've been rendered speechless by that introduction, but uh, hey, I'll take it. On to the questions. Um, when we talk about ethical clothing, what do we actually mean? That's a good question, actually. Um, funnily enough, we have a feature on ethical running kit coming out in an upcoming issue right. um, at the start of 2019. It is a massive coincidence. Um, hence, I've got a tiny little bit of insight into this. Um, yep. I've been talking to the writers who've been putting it together. And actually, before this process started, I thought that ethical running kit just meant, is it green? Is it good for the planet? And I guess you could you could probably sum it up by saying ethical running kit means, is it good for the planet? Yeah. And how are the people who made it treated? Yeah. Like, that's probably the easiest way of putting it. Yeah. And within that, um, I guess you could say it comes down to things like, what are the... Uh, the fabrics and the materials used, what are the coatings and the treatments used on them, the printing and the dyeing, mm. um, and, yeah, what are the working conditions for right. the workers? How much are they paid? Yeah. Are the factories clean? How many hours do they have to work? Yeah. Are they uh, working in a safe environment or are they at danger? That kind of thing. Yeah. I think green clothing, you kind of think, like, oh, they've made it from a recycled bottle. Like, <laughs> yeah. gr- like great. But then you, you mentioned, like, dyes, washing the processes like that that go through treatments like they the, the the waste in terms of like chemicals yeah i mean the waste is 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 vast and actually probably one of the brands that's traditionally not had the best reputation in in this area nike mm. was responsible for one of the great innovations which was 
producing some of the the machines used in the factory, making them run on water right. rather than rather than oil and parabens. Oh, okay. um, and after they kind of refined these processes, they actually gave it out to the rest of the market. That's great. There you go. And just said, you know, we could use this as a competitive advantage, but actually we believe this is best for everyone. So yeah. here you go. This is how we did it. Everyone else follow suit. Oh. Are there any other brands who have kind of made good moves in this area? Yeah, I think um, kind of people who are who are into this kind of thing will know that Patagonia um, yeah. Yeah. are really the kind of the leader in this area. They take care, they, they pay a, a large amount of attention to everything from the working conditions for workers through to the process in the factory and also how the animals are treated. So, you know, they make quite a lot of down jackets, for example, right. and merino wool stuff. So the sheep and the geese involved in that, that, you know, are the geese plucked while they're still, you know, alive and awake, for example? Are yeah. they in any pain with this being done? Being done? Where where are the feathers being plucked from on the body that kind of that real detail that you don't really mm. think about a lot yep. um but patagonia are kind of ha, have been really across that mm. i think adidas uh have uh quite well known now becoming quite a well range of, of shoes called parley which yep. is uh, a lot of the time they're just taking existing models um but making them with recycled um ocean plastics Brooks, until recently, um, did uh, have quite good creds in this area, and they still do. I think something like 10% of each Brooks shoe is be- is made from recycled parts. Mm. And when you consider that, I read somewhere that each running shoe, doesn't matter the brand, each running shoe has an average of 65 different parts in it. Right. Wow. So you can imagine yeah. how you could really mess that up environmentally if you just yeah. went, we want to do this the best way and we don't care how it's achieved. Yeah, that's true. Um, then there, there were probably more niche brands... Um, like Vord, uh, Sundried, which is a British brand um, who make their um, apparel from recycled yeah. polyester, recycled coffee grounds, right. stuff like that. Bam uh, clothing, which I, I think is just short for bamboo because that's what their clothing is made from because it's more sustainable and more readily available than, than cotton. Yeah. Um, once you start to look into it, if you started off with a mindset of, well, I can't possibly find anything, like you can. You just have to put a bit of effort in. Is, um, is ethical clothing invariably more expensive is there a kind of cost associated with buying kind of fair trade when it comes to this sort of stuff depends on the brand depends how much they're prepared to suck up the extra costs right uh so one of the big things that more ethically focused brands will do is they will have the repel made in european factories and the west rather than the east um in our feature coming out we've we've listed the 10 countries that are kind of worst at this kind of thing and they all tend to be out east as i'm sure people might instinctively have guessed the cost of doing that means it's going to cost you more yeah portugal is a bit of a hub at the moment for if you want to be seen as as ethically sound and also producing good quality clothing mm. um that's where you'll go to do it currently there's a cost for you as the as the producer sometimes they'll pass it on to to consumers um it tends to be the higher ticket items such as like technical running jackets where you'll see the difference but it's perfectly possible to get things like t-shirts and shorts and socks that are kind of at the same level really as as what you would be used to paying so 25 to 40 quid for a t-shirt similar for shorts Mm. 15 quid for for a good pair of technical running socks that aren't going to fill your feet with blisters so it's fine really are there any sort of telltale signs that clothing has been made unethically as in if someone picks up a like off the rail well i think yeah if it's going to say i'm not going to list all all the countries that i alluded to a second ago but if it says things like made in china made in taiwan um, 
there are that there isn't the legislation in those countries that that demands that factories adhere to certain standards. Yeah. So it's up to the individual factories to work with the brands that they represent. So it is possible to find pockets where things are done well. Yeah. But generally, if you see one of a number of countries and the made on label, but it's more to do, to be honest, I think with what's missing from labels. Right. So. Mm. If I can reverse that question and say, how do you know something has been made ethically? It will have one, some or all of things like a soil association logo, which certifies that products have been produced organically. The Fairware Foundation, which works with brands within um, the textile industry to improve working conditions. Fairtrade, I'm sure we all know about. Um, Blue Sign, which is kind of, it's like a system for sustainable textile production and it eliminates harmful, harmful substances, sets standards for environmentally friendly. That's a really big one. Mm. Like brands have to go through an enormous kind of hoop jumping process to prove that they're worthy of this logo and it's a big deal once they get it. So there are loads of logos you can look for and obviously you can't possibly remember them. But if, if you remember one thing, mm. if you see a piece of kit with the Blue Sign logo on it, that's a good thing. Oh, let's go. Great. I, I did not know that. No, I didn't know that, yeah. It's quite encouraging to think that actually you don't have to spend like double the money to to behave ethically um, when it comes to buying running clothing. You've touched on this anyway, Kerry, mm. but what are some of the sort of good practices when it comes to making clothing? I think in terms of fabric use, it's obviously using, like I said, stuff that's more sustainable. So like bamboo, natural fabrics rather than synthetic materials such yeah. as polyester, nylon, polypropylene. Those things have good kind of technical qualities. They're cheap. Um, which obviously means that if you're, you know, you're shopping at the kind of the more entry level budget mm. end of the market, you're almost certainly likely to be encountering fabrics that have that. But anything that's natural, merino wool, bamboo, um, you need to look into how the durable, like the water repellent coatings are put on, because that apparently is you could really mess it up there. A lot of the brands will produce waterproof jackets mm. that will keep you absolutely dry, but at a high cost to, right. to the environment. Stuff like. They're now discovering they don't have enough of a body of evidence, but actually it's the silver particles that we see that we're starting to see in a lot of kit where it to helps with the anti odor. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. smell makes you whiff less. A lot of those actually wash out in the washing machine. They get washed into the water system. Fish are absorbing them. Silver fish. Silver fish. <laughs> That's yeah. what those little things are. I mean, that could be your superhero <laughs> name, frankly. <laughs> ben Superfish Hobson. Um, um, ultimately, there's no. What's lacking, I think, is a really quick way where consumers can go. I'm in a rush. I've not got much money. Yeah. I vaguely want to do the right thing, but I also can't afford like gazillions of pounds on loads yeah. of time. There isn't really kind of a system place where that, that yeah. helps people to do that. So unfortunately, if this is an area you're interested in, you're going to have to look into it a little bit. But the good news is there's so much information out there. If you, can, if you have opposable thumbs and you can type and you can yeah. use Google, you can find out about yeah. this. No problem at all. Have you, have you as, a, as a runner... Have you and you get to trial quite a lot of this stuff? Have you noticed a, a real difference in performance? As in, is it marked? Can you like really go like, oh well, this is ethically made, so it's you know it's great that I'm wearing it, but at the same time, it's not very good. Hmm. Actually, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. If I had to, if you said, can you please give us a weakness? Yeah. Of of ethically sourced kit, I would say that aesthetically, it's it that, traditionally has not been great. Right. And I think. That's a natural consequence of the the smaller brands that come along who want to do something. Aesthetics and how cool something looks is probably quite far down on their list. Mm. They're also having to discover new ways and processes of yeah. doing stuff, so they have to keep it as simple as possible. And a lot of the time, it's something that's cool and jazzy. It takes quite a lot of quite a lot of involved work to get there. Yeah, yeah. But even that's changing. And 
where we're still at a case where Patagonia are a bit of an outlier in that they are a big company and they really focus on this. But generally, if you're going to buy ethically sound kit, it's going to be smaller brands and brands that people perhaps haven't heard of. Mm. Nike do some stuff, Brooks do some stuff, Adidas do some stuff, but until they fully get on board, people are probably going to have to make a bit of a compromise in the way they look. But in terms of technical properties, no, they're they're absolutely as good as, you know, kind of more mainstream stuff. Kerry, thanks very much for for coming on the podcast talking about no problem. I think it's really interesting, and uh, we look forward to having you on the show sometime in the near future. Wow, <laughs> pleasure! What a weird intro and outro. <laughs> <laughs> for more from Runners World, run on over. To, <laughs> I'm joking. Race on over. For more from Runners World, head to runnersworld.co.uk. So that brings us to the end of this month's Runners World podcast. I want to say a big thank you to our guests, Jane Maguire, Keith Foley, Isaac Williams and Kerry McCarthy, and to Scramble Studios in Soho where this was recorded. For more from Runners World, why not visit our website, runnersworld.co.uk, where you'll find more news, reviews and interviews from the wide world of running. If you've liked what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and give us a review. Uh, Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next month. The Runners World podcast was recorded at Scramble Studios Soho. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.